Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hello and welcome back again to the Earth 2 podcast, the show that navigates the pre-crisis DC Comics multiverse and explores the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Steve Higgins. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. And welcome back, Steve Higgins. The Dr. Pulaski to Peter's Dr. Beverly Crusher. The the Jimmy Nickel to Peter's Ringo Starr. Steve is helping us out once again as Peter still recuperates. This week we are doing a story I'm delighted to say from issue 431 of Adventure Comics. Yes, it's finally it's the return of the Spectre. Two episodes in a row when we've had proper Golden Age DC superheroes involved. I'm very, very excited. It feels like a long time since that's been the case. <laughs> Adventure Comics 431, published on the 30th of October 1973. This is quite a while after the last time the Spectre was about. The last time we saw the Spectre was in issue 83 of Justice League of America. And of course, a few weeks ago we posted our omnibus repeat of that story. And we all know how it finished with the Spectre being rendered, being wrecked, being torn apart between two Earths and drifting off in a little cloud of ectoplasm. Before that, of course, the Spectre's previous ongoing series, because he has a, becomes the headline of Adventure Comics for about ten issues. His last issue of his own ongoing was published way back in March 1969, so the Spectre has not been around for a while. We're going to talk a little bit about the circumstances that brought him back, but before we do that, Steve, can you remember the first time you encountered the Spectre? I absolutely can. Over here in the U.S., we had these reprints that came out when I was a kid in the 80s that were called DC Dollar Digests. Yep. They were they were very small-sized reprints of DC Comics, and they had reprints of Adventure Comics, which I was buying because I was a big fan of the Legion. But also, they would sometimes contain other stories from other characters. And that was where I first encountered Plastic Man, and that was where I first encountered... The Spectre, the first appearance of the Spectre and his origin story was reprinted in one of those. I looked around to see if I still had the copy that I had when I was a kid of that DC Digest, and I don't. I I must have gotten rid of it. Probably what happened is I read it and read it and read it and read it and read it, and it fell to bits, I'm sure. But I have not yet got a replacement copy of that. I'm always searching for those DC Digests whenever I go to shops and picking them up when I can, but have not gotten a replacement for that one just yet. So I can't take a picture of my copy and put it on the socials <laughs> this week or anything like that. <laughs> well, that's a shame. But yeah, so I I read the very first Spectre story. I probably would have been age six or seven, very, very young. Wow. Yeah. Did you read much of the, the 80s or 90s Spectre series? No, um, I was interested in it. Absolutely, because I would see the house ads for it, and it looked very cool. But because we didn't have a dedicated comic shop in the town that I lived at the time, and a lot of those were direct market books, mm. like the 80s book, I'm I'm pretty sure was a direct market book. Yeah. Uh, and I just, just couldn't find them. You know, I did eventually collect the Ostrander series in the 90s, mm-hmm. but that was probably my biggest run on the Spectre that I've ever collected. Yeah. No, I was I was a big fan of the Ostrander series. Um, obviously, it's a it's a big deal because it introduced the Michael Holt version of Mister Terrific towards the end. But that's a great series. I should I, <laughs> I'm saying about a lot of things. I should really dig that out for a reread one of these years. <laughs> so the Spectres return to Adventure Comics. There's a few little bits and bobs that I want to mention in relation to this. At this point in DC Comics, there was a regular kind of like the Direct Currents pages or such like that would frequent pop up now and again. A regular text page called Behind the Scenes at the DC Comic World. There's a text page from which probably appeared in a few issues, but I've sourced it here from issue 252 of Batman. Amongst some chat about a Superman exhibition in Illinois, by the looks of things, called The Amazing World of Superman, down at the bottom of this text page, there's talk of the Manhunter coming to Detective Comics, and don't worry, we'll be doing that before the end of the year. There's also a couple of paragraphs towards the end of the page that I'll read out completely. To top it all off, the ghostly guardian is returning to the pages of Adventure Comics. No, not Dead Man, the Spectre. Editor Joe Orlando enjoyed rereading his origins so much in Secret Origins number five that he's launching a Spectre series in Adventure number four hundred and thirty-one. Black Orchid fans shouldn't go into mourning though, as her series will continue to appear in every issue. Spoiler warning: it didn't. <laughs> it shifted over to Phantom Stranger. <laughs> 
that's rounded out by a nice little, looks like a Murphy Anderson headshot of the Spectre hiding behind his cloak. So obviously we did an episode on Secret Origins last year, the Spectre was reprinted in issue 5, so it's interesting to, to think that that might have had an impact on decisions to bring him back. I'm now going to jump to issue 6 of the DC sort of in-house fanzine effort, Amazing World of DC Comics, issue 6 published in June 1975, so a little while after this issue of Adventure Comics, a special Joe Orlando issue, and it features a big long interview with Joe where it talks about the various titles that he's worked on, including obviously stuff like Batlash and Jonah Hex, but it also has a little section on page 9 where it talks about his work on Adventure Comics. Now obviously on a show we've done quite a bit from Adventure Comics in the last couple of years, You'll be aware, obviously, that we did a couple of Supergirl stories and we did some Vigilante stories and we mentioned stuff like the Adventurers Club and Captain Fear that was all going on and we talked about how Adventure Comics was in a real state of flux at this point. It didn't seem to know what it was doing. And they touch on this in this Joe Orlando feature in Amazing World. I'm just going to read this whole section out to you, basically. The question that gets put to Joe at this point is, at the same time you took over All-Star Western, you picked up Adventure Comics. In one case, you succeeded in making the book work, but in the other, all we've seen is a succession of abortive projects, some of which were beautifully done. Obviously, All-Star Western was where Jonah Hex was introduced and became Weird Western Tales very soon after. Joe's reply to this question. Well, Adventure is DC's oldest running title. It has 40 years of comic book history behind it. When I inherited the title, it wasn't doing too well, and unfortunately, it still hasn't clicked. Bear in mind, of course, listeners, this is a couple of years after the publication of Adventure 431, which we're covering today. Joe continues, I tried and will keep trying new features until something works. When I lost the Supergirl feature, I looked at DC's other successful books for ideas. The mysteries were doing well, so my first attempt was the Adventurers Club. It was a mysterious club that admitted only members who had experienced a grand adventure. I tried to combine mystery and high adventure, but that combo didn't work for adventure. Next I tried a continuing feature, a pirate adventure, in which the hero would be a Caribbean Indian known as Captain Fear. I was always fascinated by the way the conquistadors wiped out the Indians in the Caribbean, so I thought that might do it. I wanted to play on a then current interest in the Indians, a conflict of two cultures. A lot of grandiose ideas, but that didn't work. Of course, Joe there is probably using, the term would probably use would be indigenous nowadays, of course. Joe continues, so I called Shelley Mayer and said, hey Shelley, how about writing a sexy women's lib superheroine for me? She can stop bullets. She can fly. We won't tell her origin. What do you mean there are no black orchids, just purple? We'll still call her the Black Orchid. It sounds mysterious. Anyway, that didn't work, but it did gather some vociferous fans, and when the reading of Black Orchid's demise, some wealthy unknown fan sent me a beautiful bouquet of orchids with a note, Bring back the Black Orchid or suffer the consequences. It was very heartwarming, and also very useful. It was my wedding anniversary, so I just rewrote the card and made a big hit with my wife. <laughs> and this is where it comes relevant to what we're talking about today. And then I introduced the Spectre. I had just been mugged in broad daylight on Upper Broadway, where I was living at the time. The feeling of helplessness and anger and loss of manhood, open brackets, my wife was with me at the time. As I watched the two muggers strutting away with my wallet, it gave me the Walter Mitty idea of fantasy revenge. That's what I'll do, you bums. I'll bring back the spectre. The spectre rid the world of the evil vermin that preys on upstanding, hard-working, middle-aged comic book editors. From the reaction and sales adventure, I have a suspicion... That lot of muggers are reading my book. He then goes on to talk about Aquaman and how he'll bring him back, which does happen fairly soon. And there's pages rounded out with a nice little series of headshots, which I'm going to hold up for the benefit of Steve and our YouTube viewers so they can see it, <laughs> which I'll probably post on the social so you can all see it, which features some of the stars that Joe's just been talking about, people that appeared in Adventure Comics, people like Supergirl, the man with the eye patch from the Adventures Club, the Spectres, Atana, Aquaman, Captain Fear, Vigilante, Black Canadian, Black Orchid. Quite a lot of those people, we've obviously done some of their stories. Now, the, the whole Joe being mugged thing seems to become a bit of a legend. The Adventure Comics Spectre series was reprinted in the 80s in four issues of a series called Wrath of the Spectre in 1988. Steve and I will both now hold up our copies of issue one for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. There we go, you can see that. Okay, lovely. <laughs> and all four issues of Wrath of the Spectre have detailed sort of text commentary on the stories, interviews with Michael Fleischer, chats with Jim O'Parrell, with Paul Levitz, and obviously Joe Orlando himself. And there's some dubiety amongst all of them. They all seem to have heard the story about Joe getting mugged, but none of them can decide when it actually happened or indeed if it actually happened. But the earliest reference to the mugging that I've been able to find, as I say, is an amazing world. So we're just going to assume that it actually happened. And it was a combination of Joe reading Secret Origins issue 5 and getting mugged and feeling frustrated. He sort of thought, ah! 
I wish I was the spectre, and quite frankly, we've all had those moments, haven't we? So, with all of that scene setting in place, Steve's now going to tell us about the cover to Adventure Comics 431. Certainly, and it is a very striking cover indeed. Um, it is predominantly a, a very blue color, and you have the Adventure Comics logo at the top in blue. The words itself are in white with the blue in the background. You've got the DC logo in the upper left-hand corner saying the Lion of Superstars with Adventure Comics in tiny print underneath it. In the upper right corner, you've got 20 cents, number 431, February. And in between the two, there's a yellow banner with, in red lettering, the Wrath of the Spectre. Down at the bottom, you have the actual cover image, which again is predominantly blue. You have a giant looming specter figure with his cloak kind of wrapped in front of him, and he's reaching out a, a gnarled, twisted hand as he's kind of fading into the background a little bit. But beneath him, with the figure that he is reaching out for, is a man who had apparently been holding a machine gun, but he has dropped it because... His arms are melting into goop, <laughs> and it's disgusting and awesome. It really is. Such a powerful image, and one that we will revisit later in the comic. It's brilliant. It's one of the best illustrations of the Spectre I've ever seen. It's the way he's sort of isn't quite fully formed. It's like he's, You get the sense that he's fading in, and this guy is absolutely terrified. Of course, this is around the time that the, the comics code had started to relax its rules. Mentioned this briefly in the past, you know, for a long time, horror images and stuff and stories about vampires and zombies and what have you were barred. But this adventure comics run really does push the limit. There's some chat with Michael Fleischer and Joe Orlando in the text pages of Wrath of the Spectre where they, where they talk about some of the things they do to some of the people the Spectre comes up against and how they really wanted to, they, they went through the sort of the letter of the comics code, what you couldn't show. Um, and what you could, so they're very careful, although there are real horror elements in all these stories, and some of the stuff that we're going to cover in the next couple of months is really quite intense, really quite dark. <laughs> I'm amazed they got away with it, quite frankly, in a lot of cases. <laughs> because they were so specific and careful about it, they managed to get away with some really horrible implications and some really quite nasty bits and bobs, and there's some brilliant stuff in this story that kicks it off. So without any further ado, we shall dive in. Should point out, of course, that the story's been reprinted in Wrath of the Spectre, also in a trade paperback, I believe, and I think there might even be a larger omnibus as well, so you might be able to track it down if you don't have them already. Our opening splash image is a proper splash page. It doesn't start the story off in the way that a lot of splash pages are doing by this point, but it's a nice symbolic image. We see an aeroplane flying at night with lightning crackling all around it, dark, dark clouds, and the spectre looming out of the clouds, looking as if he's about to grasp the aeroplane. Some text at the top of the page sets the scene for us. His fellow policemen know him as Detective Jim Corrigan, the toughest cop on the New York force. But Jim Corrigan is not just another tough cop. For Jim Corrigan is a dead man, a ghost, a man murdered by gangsters who has returned from beyond the grave to battle crime with powers far beyond the ken of mortal men. But you needn't tremble, gentle reader. Only the vermin of the underworld need fear. The Wrath of the Spectre. And rather brilliantly, the title of the story, the text for it, sort of weaves its way around the aeroplane that's flying through the storm. Tiny signature caption lets us know the art was by Jim Apparel, but there's another little caption along the bottom that reads, Script, Michael Fleischer. Art continuity, Russell Carley. Editor, Joe Orlando. Yeah, art continuity is a funny thing. I've seen it elsewhere in the past, just referred to as, you know, meaning inking or whatever, uh, or just general assist it's, or scripting assist. It's a, it's a weird credit. So this aeroplane is flying along, and there's a thought bubble coming from it, a thought bubble from someone we haven't met yet, but nevertheless, we hear the thoughts of one man. Ha <laughs> ha! Me and the boys stole a million bucks from that armoured car and made monkeys out of the cops in the bargain. There's not a chance they could catch me now. Gosh, what's going on here then? Well, we'd better find out. Into the story properly. The first panel. It's night time. It's a mountain road. Very similar to the mountain road we saw Wildcat on last week. <laughs> An armoured car is speeding along. From inside, we hear the conversation between two of the guards. The first one says, Fifteen years as a guard, and I still can't get used to driving around with all this loose money. His mate replies, Believe me, I know exactly what you mean. In panel two, 
There's a sudden vroom, and a massive explosion destroys the bridge in front of the car that it was speeding towards in panel one. The armoured car pulls up short. From inside, one of the guards shouts, Huh? And his mate says, Quick, hit the brake! Panel three, we're looking down on the car from behind. Two armed men wearing balaclavas and bearing what look like, you know, rocket launchers to my uneducated eyes, are standing watching, aiming their guns down at the vehicle. One burly chap on the left. Now, it's not too clear from these first couple of pages who's speaking at certain points, but we've done a bit of close reading and we're trying to work out exactly which of the characters we're going to meet for the rest of the story are talking. So we've asserted that the leader of this little gang speaks now when he says, We got him right where we want him. Now hit him with the fire grenades. And his pal replies, Okay, here goes. In panel four, we get a couple of thwack, thwack sound effects as the armoured car is struck by these fire grenades. From inside, we hear the voice of one of the guards. Hey, we're on fire. Somebody <coughs> lobbing grenades at us. Quick, <coughs> call our position and <coughs> security. Someone's trying to <coughs> hold us up. Panel five, we see them legging it out the back of the vehicle. The first guy's saying, <coughs> It's no use. Gotta get out of here. Or we'll <coughs> roast to death. So the smoke and the flames going on, very dramatic. The other guard is saying, Okay, we're coming out! Holding up his hands. You've got us! <coughs> don't shoot! No, don't! Ah! And he's shot down as we hear the brat, brat, brat of machine gun fire. One of the other guards cries, Help! We give up! But he's taken down as well. And we see the other guard, possibly the driver, also being shot as he screams, Ah! As he's hit by bullets. Final panel of page two, we see all the guards lying presumably, dead on the ground. And four men with guns, balaclavas, etc., carrying bags that are there to obviously rob the van. One man holding a bag shouts at the leader. The leader has taken off his balaclava, but the guy who's shouting is saying, Hey, Fritz, why do you had a gun down like that? They were surrendering. Fritz replies, They was just like cops, wasn't they? Now stop running your mouth like an egg beater and let's go get that money. Fritz looks to me a bit like Norman Osborn from Spider-Man's comics, if that helps you visualise him. <laughs> First panel of page three, we can see that they're emptying the truck. One guy standing in the back of the truck, handing out a bag. We can see loose notes falling out one of the other ones. But we also can hear a siren. There's a police car or something approaching. One guy who's approaching the van shouts, Sirens! They must have got a call through the law! Let's get out of here! And in panel two, we see a police car approaching. And I'm forgetting, you, can, you um, <laughs> Marine cars are drivers on the left-hand side, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this yes. to my eye looks like, God, this guy's multitasking as he's rolling down. But there's one police car <laughs> hanging out the right window, firing a pistol down at the lads, down at the robbers. He's firing away, down in the valley, as it were, down in front of the armoured car. We see one of the robbers shouting, Come on, move it! In panel three, Pete, unfortunately, is struck by one of the... Well, no, not unfortunately, fortunately, because he's just killed all these security guards and he's a robber. Pete gets struck by one of the cop's bullets and yells, Ah! I'm I'm hit! From inside the car, one of the other robbers says, Hey, Pete's been hit! And then, amusingly, which in showing there's no honour among thieves, in panel four, the getaway car that the robbers have starts pulling away. Pete yells, Wait! Don't leave me! I... Ah! And he yells because Fritz is hanging out the back of the truck with his machine gun, and he fires and shoots Pete down, saying, Don't worry about Pete. He won't tell the cops nothing. Good God. Panel 5, the cops arrive beside the routed armoured car and the, all the dead bodies, and the first cop says, Do we chase him, or what? And the other says, Let him go for now. We can't compete with that submachine gun. Besides, some of these men might need help. Final panel of page 3, so nice shot of all the dead bodies lying around with one policeman looking at them, and one cop, back at the police car, contacting his HQ, saying, This is car 16, reporting an armoured car robbery near the access bridge on Route 4. The four guards are all dead, along with one perpetrator. The other crooks escaped with the loot. Over. In the first panel of page four, he gets a reply saying, Well, send the weed wagon out there along with some buys from Homicide. You just stay put for now, 10-4. Okay, 10-4. And a slow dissolve, the caption for panel two. Presently. A familiar-looking figure has arrived, wearing a sort of trench coat, smart suit, and he has very well-maintained short red hair. He's examining the dead body of Pete, and the Sarge who... Radioed everything in, is standing behind him, saying, I tried to just wound him, Lieutenant Corrigan, but his own men shot him to pieces so he wouldn't be able to spill the beans. And Lieutenant Corrigan replies, Don't worry, Sergeant, we'll get these birds eventually. And as he's examining Pete's body, he's found a business card, which in panel three, we can look over his shoulder and read it, and it says, Golden Age Antiques. There's also a telephone number. 
I'm going to dare Steve to call it when we get to the end. As he reads the business card, Lieutenant Corrigan thinks, Well, what do you know? A criminal with an interest in antiques. Meanwhile? Yeah, and we're at Golden Age Antiques. We can see a sign on the wall. And we see Fritz, Charlie and Hank, the three surviving robbers. Fritz, we already saw. He's the tall chap with the Norman Osborne look to him. Charlie looks a smaller, slighter chap with a moustache, kind of blonde hair. Hank, another thick-set, dark-haired chap. And they're all taking the money out of the bags. The money that they've just stolen. Charlie looks very unhappy. And he says, Fritz, why'd you blast all them guys like that? And Hank says, Yeah, and what about Pete? We could have helped him into the car and still got away okay. Fritz isn't having it, he says. Pipe down and finish counting out the money, will ya? The heist went off like clockwork, didn't it? And with Pete gone, there's more dough for all of us, ain't there? Final panel of page four. Looks though Fritz has zipped up his own part of the take. He's making his leave and he says, I want you guys to take your shares and lay low till the heat dies down. Hank, you go back to your garage and get back to work. Business as usual. Okay, Fritz, says Hank. Tiny caption tells that we're continuing the third page following. Pass an advert for karate. Ooh, we pass a full page advert, the insult that made a man out of Mac. Is that the first time we've seen it on the podcast? I think it might be. <laughs> Steve's reading from the reprint in Wrath of the Spectre. I take it that doesn't have the the advertisements, unfortunately. No, it does not. That's a shame. (laughs) In the first panel of page five, Fritz turns to Charlie and says, Oh yeah, Charlie, you go back to running your antique store here like nothing ever happened. Me, I'm going to South America for a little extended vacation. Soon as my money runs out, I'll come back to the States and we'll all cook up a brand new heist together. How's that sound? Charlie replies, Sounds fine, Fritz. Anything you say. Another slow dissolve and another caption. Presently. And we see Lieutenant Corrigan arriving outside Golden Age Antiques. Corrigan has the business card that he took from Pete's body. He's reading it and thinking, this is it all right. Now to see what I can do about scaring up a little information. Panel 3's entered the shop. Charlie greets him saying, can I help you, sir? You sure can, fella, says Corrigan. Gets out his police ID badge. Pointing at Charlie, he says, just tell me who helped you pull an armoured car heist earlier this evening, and I'll see to it that all of you get a crack at the Police Athletic League's Citizen of the Year Award. Interestingly, there's a detail of a calendar in the background that seems to be dated November 1973. That's quite interesting. Final panel, we see Charlie's hand reaching under the counter and grabbing a pistol as Charlie replies to Corrigan saying, Uh, armoured c- car robbery? Why, uh, yes, I think I can help you. You see... Uh, one of my customers is... And in the first panel of page six, he brings a pistol up, starts firing at Corrigan, saying, All right, cop, I don't know how you found out about me, but I know for sure you'll never find out about anything else. You see the bullets passing through Corrigan and shattering what looks like a couple of pots or statues on the shelf behind them. This prompts Corrigan to say, Thank you, Charlie. Those are all the questions I have. For now... And with that, he grows transparent and fades out. Charlie's astonished, he thinks. Huh? He's fading away, disappearing like some sort of ghost. I don't know what's going on here, but I ain't staying around here to mess with no spook. Charlie looks terrified in panel three. In panel four, we see him rushing from the building, his bag of money in his hand towards a parked car, and he's thinking, I'm taking my dough and making myself scarce right now. In panel five, we're... Looking down at the car as it speeds along the road, and very interestingly, a large, very large shadow seems to have been cast over the speeding vehicle. And we hear the thoughts of someone who we've not heard the thoughts of in a very long time. Flee, if you will, evildoer. You cannot escape the spectre. The caption for the final panel of page six reads, For hours, Charlie drove as if the hounds of Hades were after him. And finally... Yes, we see Charlie's parked his car. He's using a telephone booth with a spectre drifting through and around in the mist and the fog surrounding the telephone booth. We hear Charlie making his call and he's saying, Hank, it's me, Charlie. Hank, I'm scared. Real scared. A guy came in my store and accused me of being in on that armored car job. Hank, I know this sounds crazy, but that guy wasn't human. He was some kind of spook. And we see Hank at his garage. We can see all sorts of paraphernalia and detail on the wall behind him. Smoking a cigarette, he's on the phone, replies to Charlie saying, Oh, come on, Charlie, you've been hitting the bottle again? Down the line, we hear Charlie saying, I tell you, Hank, it's true. I pumped four bullets into this guy and they went right through him. 
I'm getting out while the getting's good. But since we're pals, I thought I'd at least warn you. <laughs> okay, Charlie boy. Thanks for the tip, but you don't have to worry none about me. My lucky rabbit's foot's guaranteed to scare the pants off every spook within 50 miles. <laughs> and he laughs again. He doesn't care. The caption for panel four of page seven reads... Moments later... Charlie's in his car, he's driving off again, and he's thinking... He can laugh if he wants to, but I know I saw... But Charlie's thoughts are interrupted by the arrival of the spectre looming out of nowhere in the road in front of him massively. He looks huge. Charlie's thoughts... Huh? That thing in the middle of the road. I'll hit it unless I... Screech of brakes, he turns. Turn off onto this road and... And we arrive at the top of page eight. The first panel's astonishing. Charlie's car zooming along. Unfortunately, he zooms right off the edge of a cliff, thinking... Wait, this road? There ain't no road here. It's nothing but a... a... And as the spectre hovers in there and watches, Charlie's car indeed rolls off the cliff into the canyon below and explodes with a crash. Superb. A slow dissolve. The next day... And we see Hank wearing his garage outfit gear, sat in a big chair... Conspicuously, there's a poster for Swamp Thing on the wall behind him. <laughs> and that lets you know how despicable he is, because he's a comic book fan. <laughs> Need to try and work out what issue of Swamp Thing that actually is, and if so, I'll maybe get a tweet out of it or post it in the, the, our Instagram story or something. <laughs> Hank is reading the newspaper and thinking, Whew, Charlie must have been scared last night. According to this, he lost control of his car went right off that steep cliff out on Highway 21. Unseen by Hank, the spectre starts to fade in through the wall, starts to face through the wall behind him. Hank's still reading the newspaper and he's thinking, When I think of how Charlie sounded on the phone last night, ugh, the whole thing gives me the creepy crawlies. You have good reason to be afraid, Hank, says the spectre, now fully formed, standing behind Hank, who whirls around, cigarette falls out of his mouth as he says, Huh? Who are you? Men call me the spectre. Spectre? But that's some kind of ghost, ain't it? Charlie has reached down and picked up... God, he's got a machine gun. What kind of garage is this where they've got a machine gun just under the counter? It's an American garage. That's what it is. Yeah. Yes. Gosh, I don't don't want to presume, you know. Charlie brings the gun to bear on the spectre, saying, Well, you're not going to get me, you crummy spook. I'll kill you. I'll... But you can't kill me, Hank. You see, I am already dead. What are you doing here? What what do you want? I want to sleep forever in a nice warm grave, Hank. I want the everlasting peace that is rightfully mine. But the stench of evil men like you will not let me rest. In fact, he points towards Hank and we see the barrel of Hank's machine gun start to dissolve. Hank cries, what? My machine gun is melting like a piece of wax. And then, oh my goodness, horror of horrors. The final panel of page nine. Hank's face in abject terror as he screams, My my arms! They're melting too! What's happening to me? Please! I didn't mean nothing! Don't make me melt like this! Please! Ah!" And indeed, listeners, this is obviously going into socials because Hank's hands are melting like they're also made of wax. Oh my goodness! Can you stand it, Caitlin Higgins? I can't. (laughs) The first panel of page ten. Hank has dissolved completely into a, a right big orange and pink gooey mess that dissolves and just runs off the chair onto the floor. His dying scream fading out. The spectre starts to fade out, thinking, Only one more villain remains. He thinks to flee, but the blackest night will not hide him from me for long. Meanwhile... And we're back where we were at the splash page. We see the large jumbo flying through the storm, lightning, dark clouds, the whole thing. We hear Fritz's thoughts from inside. The cops will never figure out who did that job. And even if they do, in a few hours I'll be in sunny South America, surrounded by senoritas and living like a king. Yeah, panel three we can see Fritz now in civvies, a smart brown suit, a smart striped shirt, a smart spotted tie, smoking a pipe and reading a newspaper. Can you smoke pipes on aeroplanes? 50 years ago? Probably. The next panel is very interesting. Fritz suddenly looks alarmed as the amount of smoke coming out of his pipe seems to increase and billow out in a huge big cloud. Fritz looks alarmed and thinks, When I think of how... What? Why is all that smoke coming out of my... He drops his pipe in a panic onto the floor. Ah! 
And the smoke continues to billow and grow and glow as the spectre takes shape. Fritz cries, Ah! That thing! Coming out of my pipe! Who, who are you? I have come for you, villain. Because so long as you remain free, the souls of your victims must writhe in torment. Stare deep into my eyes, evil one, and we will walk into the valley of death together. Very effectively. We see in the spectre's eye sockets little skulls. Oh, it's horrid. Very scary. First panel of page 11, it's another view of the aeroplane flying through the storm, lightning striking all around, dark clouds. From inside we hear Fritzy's voice. Y you must be crazy. I'm not going anywhere with you. Do you hear me? I'm not going anywhere. Stewardess! Stewardess! And the next panel, blonde stewardess has arrived to answer his call. She says, yes sir, can I help you sir? And Fritz points up at the hovering form of the spectre saying, Th that man over there, he he's threatening me, trying to frighten me. What man, sir? I don't see any man. The spectre looms down towards Fritz and says, The men you murdered are waiting for you, Fritz. It is time for you to join them. In panel four, Fritz has grabbed the stewardess, put his arm around her neck, and he's holding a pistol to her head. Could you take guns on aeroplanes 50 years ago? The 70s were a wild time. They were just asking <laughs> for trouble, weren't they? Good God. Fritz yells, Oh yeah? I'm not joining nobody, see? You make one move toward me and this chicky here gets it. Right in the head. The stewardess looks very confused. She says, Sir, please, what are you doing? Let me go. You get a wider view of the inside of the plane at this point. We see some of the other passengers standing up and looking round. They can't see the spectre. They don't know what's going on. One guy in a snazzy blue checked suit with glasses says, The man's obviously deranged. He's suffering some kind of hallucination. With his gun still pointed at the stewardess, the spectre looms above Fritz, gestures towards the desperate man and says, Farewell, murderer. The first panel, page 12, is completely black. It's almost like the lights have gone out on the aeroplane. Completely dark. We hear the voices of some of the passengers. A woman cries, Eek! The lights! What happened to the lights? Somebody call the captain. And then there's a massive scream. <laughs> panel 2, we're back with the man in the glasses and the checked suit. As he says, Thank God, the lights are finally... <gasps> a man next to him. Eek! A woman behind him. And the camera pulls back in panel three to show a skeleton slumped on the floor of the aeroplane. A pistol in his hand. All of his clothing, all of the flesh, all of the skin, all of the hair, gone completely. A man in a smart grey business suit and a black tie says, Oh my lord. Stewardess screams, Ah! And another man says, Good grief. Another slow dissolve. The next morning. And we see Lieutenant Jim McCorrigan. We can see the, the little bit of white in the front of his hair, which wasn't too clear in his earlier appearances. Obviously in the office of his superior. Superiors are an older, balding gentleman, thick moustache, cigar in his gob. Behind his desk, he points at Jim and says, Corrigan, you're supposed to be one of my best detectives. When are you going to come through with a decent lead on those armoured car robbers? Don't worry, Chief. We've got the entire city sealed off. Those mugs don't have a ghost of a chance. I don't give a tinker's damn about sealing the city, Corrigan. I want those guys caught. And Jim takes his leave, saying, Yes, sir. And a tiny caption tells us we have reached... The, the end. end. Wow. Well, that's the most <laughs> visceral and violent and unpleasant story we've probably ever had. Goodness me. You know, when you were talking about the Comics Code Authority, uh, I think it's very interesting that in 1973, the issue of Adventure Comics was Comics Code approved, but Wrath of the Spectre reprint is not. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the code thought about it and was like, nah, this is maybe a little little rough. A little, little too rough. Yeah, I think possibly Wrath of the Spectre was probably just so direct only. Maybe for the direct market, they didn't have to worry about such things. I don't know. I'm not an expert. <laughs> we need to find someone who knows all about the comics code and that can come on and tell us. With all that in mind, it's interesting that, let's look at the violence. I mean, you've got people being shot down as they're almost in flames emerging from armoured cars and other guys being shot by their friends at point-blank range, a man melting. It's interesting that things go to black for um, the spectre stripping all of the flesh from Fritz's bones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad he didn't try and illustrate that. I think it would have been quite unsettling. Yeah, that must have been like what you were talking about earlier, about how can we get around the comics code 
and get this still approved. I know we'll just cut to black and then come back <laughs> and he'll be dead and gone, essentially. Yeah. As opposed to what what was his name as opposed to Hank's yes. demise, which is gruesome yeah. and just beautifully drawn, but horrendous. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a bit of a jump cut because we go from his from his hands melting, which is bad enough, to him having dissolved completely. But it's still a scream. There's a slight, still a slight hint of his mouth. Grotesque. I mean, it was. It didn't mess about. It packed a lot in in twelve pages. This this spectre was just like you know, he was not taking any prisoners whatsoever. We should get the the awkward geeky aspect of it out of the way. Nothing to tell us here if this is a new version of the spectre, if this is the old spectre. If this is the spectre on a different Earth, I mean, I I'm not saying I would have liked to, and I, and I really wouldn't have liked to have seen a, a scene that showed the spectre reforming in an alleyway somewhere in the wake of Just League of America '83. But it's interesting how it doesn't really feel the need to set anything up. We don't even get Jim Corrigan. We know it's Jim Corrigan, but we just were just introduced to Lieutenant Corrigan, and it's almost like it's taken it red that anyone who's reading it will know who he is and what's going on. You know, he fades out on Charlie, and then the spectre kind of chases him to his doom. We don't actually see Jim turn into the Spectre at any point. There's no real obvious connection between them. Certainly nothing shown. We see Jim, as I say, fading out from Charlie, then the Spectre appears a few panels later. That's quite interesting. We'll have to see how um, how that plays out in subsequent issues. The Spectre does seem to be acting like in his ongoing series of the 60s, like a bit of an independent agent. The story just assumes that we know the connection between the two characters. I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it does mention in the text on the first page yeah you know jim corrigan's origin a little bit but yeah i think it is i can't imagine this being somebody's first specter story i mean maybe it is that kind of bronze age thing of like we know that you know what's going on here sure we're just gonna throw you right into it it's a slightly mature more mature storytelling yeah obviously in content but also in kind of knowing that the readers will be able to put the pieces together and and figure this stuff out. Yeah, there's an element of that. But I think, to play devil's advocate, I always think of the thing that Jim Shooter sort of put on Chris Claremont when the characters have to show their powers and have to be called by their names at least once in each story just for the point of character identification. I think it's a bit of a... You know, the, the text at the start sets it up, but, you know, without that, there's nothing really in the story to kind of carry it. It's an, it's an interesting one. I'm not complaining. I'm just really I'm making the observation. I think it, it works fine, obviously. I mean, I know. And I, I'm sure it must have been someone's first Spectres. Every comic is, you know, at least in the olden days, every comic was someone's first, you know. True. Last week, obviously, we did Jim Aparo's story in Brave and the Bold 110, but his artwork in this is just as spectacular. Different, very different, you know, sort of thing. There's some stuff in common, obviously, mountain roads and cars and what have you, but it's very atmospheric, very very moody. I love all the scenes with, with Charlie and his car and the scenes with the robbery. They're beautifully rendered. And all that, the fact that the flight's happening at night and all this kind of thing you know, with the dark clouds and all that. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, I mentioned last time that I'm a big fan of Aparo's art and, oh, he's just killing it here. Again, I don't know that I've seen a panel that's as striking as Hank melting like wax at the bottom of page nine. That is just the most striking panel I've come across in a comic in a long time. Yeah. And I do read a lot of modern stuff, and but th that's just gruesome, and I love it. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> it's going to be hard for me as you guys continue to read these Adventure Comics issues to not want to go ahead and keep reading <laughs> but to like stop myself and wait until you all get to the next issue. But then again, maybe I should go ahead and read them in advance to make sure there's no content in them that I might find too inappropriate for Caitlin. <laughs> well, Caitlin's a big girl now, man. Let's be honest. That's She's true. Well, how old is she now? She's 12. I'm sure she'd cope. I would hope that she'd find it, you know, exciting and scary rather than too disturbing. We'll have to see how we get on. Yeah. And if, you know, if Peter's voice never comes back, you may end up having to do all of these stories with me anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's voice, the, the Shergar of the Earth 2 podcast, if that means anything to American <laughs> listeners. No, it's it's going to be interesting just seeing how far they push the violence, actually, in subsequent stories. What we're going to do, listeners, because quite a few of the stories are like 11, 12 pages, we're, we're going to double up some of them. There are a couple of longer ones that we're going to give an episode to themselves, but we're going to double up some of them just to kind of try and, you know, get us towards our end point a little bit faster. One thing that we didn't touch on in the story when we are doing the reading, but we're going to mention it now, is the newspaper that Hank is reading from on page 8 as he sat there under a Swamp Thing poster. The newspaper is clearly called the Daily Bugle. 
Oh my, I, I did not notice that. That's, I saw the Swamp Thing poster and I thought that was hilarious, but oh man. <laughs> so yeah. Oh. Does this mean we're going to get a Spider-Man and Spectre crossover in an upcoming story? <laughs> that would be good. I think that's fascinating. I can't help but wonder. Indict five in cover up. DA blocked get rich quiz is what the headline. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Is that a reference to a specific Spider-Man story that might have been on the newsstand at oh, the time? I don't know. I'm not enough of a Spider-Man expert to know. No, I don't. I'm not either. We, we need to put the listeners on that. Uh, <laughs> 70s Spider-Man yeah. fans, let us know <laughs> if there's a similar Spidey story. <laughs> yes, very much so. But no, the, the implication here, if you want to go that way, is that um, the Spectre is reformed in the Marvel Universe. Where Swamp Thing is a comic book, and you can buy posters of some of the covers. <laughs> it's the the Witcher thing he's on is interesting. There's nothing here to kind of hint or tell us where he could be at all. We're going to have to take it as it comes. We've got an idea. We might be able to kind of play someone one or the other, just depending on some of the stories that we're going to be covering over the next few months. You know, the ones that are published between 73, 74, 75. At the moment, there's nothing here at all. He's on an earth where... Swamp Thing is a comic book character, which to me that suggests he might be on a whole Earth and different Earth entirely from any we've seen before, or he might be on Earth to where he came from, or it could be a completely new version of the Spectre. We shall have to see how it all plays out. Gosh, anything else you want to talk about story-wise? No, other than yeah, this was just amazing. I can't wait to read more. I can't wait till you and Peter, preferably Peter, <laughs> uh, cover. The rest of these, and I can uh, I can listen and read along. Awesome. Yeah, this is great, great stuff, and I'm glad I'm getting a chance to, to come across it. It really is. It really is good stuff. Now, listeners, we're going to move to the contemporary correspondence. Before we read from issue 434, I'm going to give you a quick bit of info from the letters page from Adventure Comics 433 in response to a letter concerning issue 431. I'll just, find, I'll just read the whole letter, because I think Peter would like me to read this one. Dear Joe, congrats Joe, I picked up Adventure 431 today and I noticed that Adventure Comics was beginning its 40th year of publication. It's good to see that the oldest comic in existence is still one of the best. How about using this occasion to give us a sneak preview of what to expect from the ever-changing adventure in the near future? And that letter is from none other than Paul Cooperberg, Brooklyn, New York. Joe's response reads, well, for the future of Adventure Comics, we're turning to the past. Beginning in two or three issues, depending on scheduling, there will be a serialised new adventure of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, a group of Golden Age greats who met up with the Justice League about two years ago in JLA 100-102. In our move to 75 Rockefeller Plaza, we discover the hitherto unpublished script dating back to about 1945, and we assigned it to half a dozen of our favourite artists. As for other plans, watch the answers to the following letters. Now, yes, obviously Peter and I will be covering those, whether or not we get Steve and Ranger Gord and Chuck and <laughs> Logan and Brandon back to voice all of the Seven Soldiers, etc., we'll have to wait and see. The rest of the letters from issue 433 are general discussions about what the content of the book might be going forward. Someone asks about what's going to happen with Dead Man. Of course, he would end up being a backup strip in Phantom Stranger after a little while. Um, there's talk about Black Orchid. There's talk about Black Canary and Vigilante. Vigilante, of course will return in the pages of World's Finest Comics, but not for a few years. So that's all we really want to cover from issue 403. So jumping now to the letters page from issue 434, you're not going to believe who the first letter's by. <laughs> but I think Steve is going to read it to you now. Me? I'm going to read it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will. That's fine. <laughs> it's much funnier if you read it. Oh, all right. <laughs> Dear Joe, the wrath of the specter. It's been a long time since we last saw a story so aptly titled. Here is the very essence of that nemesis of evil known as the specter. The specter worries not about the ills of society or the manner in which warped men become criminals. He simply sees these men as thorns who must be snipped from the vine of life. In this way, the ghostly guardian achieves almost godlike proportions. What other character deals so mercilessly with murderers and thieves? What other could take the life of a man so easily? None but the specter. The death-dealing specter, with skulls in his eyes, liquidating the scum of the earth in order to find himself a cozy grave, is the very heart of the character. You have captured the true spirit of his being. <laughs> and that letter was by David Steele. <laughs> Not our David Steele, unfortunately. That's why I didn't attempt a very, very bad <laughs> Scottish accent while I was reading it. 
and say murderer <laughs> when I when I got to that bit. Uh, no, sorry. David Steele from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Yes. David Steele with an E at the end of his name, so not quite the same as my spelling, but that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to screenshot that one right now so I can send it to everyone I know. <laughs> Editorial response to David Steele's letter is, The merciless quality of the spectre was the one characteristic most commented on by our correspondents. While most of you seem to enjoy it, some were bothered by it. Like our next writer, and indeed the next letter reads, Dear Joe, I'm glad that you're handling the spectre the way he's meant to be handled, from a mystery angle rather than in the superhero tradition. You've apparently realised that he's wearing a cloak, not a cape. I suppose that you're just following the current trend, but I feel that this incarnation will be more successful than the previous ones. However, the storyline seemed a bit empty, offering little except sheer brutality. In any medium more literal than comics, the Spectre's method of dealing with criminals would not be tolerated. Here, though, there's a tendency to get off on the novelty of watching criminals meet immediate merciless punishment without realising how we would react to the same type of treatment elsewhere. That's an interesting point. I'm a bit uneasy about the glorification of this means of fighting crime, but I doubt if future stories will emphasise it to this extent. We shall see. If the spectre continues to squelch his opponents this effortlessly, there'll be very little substance to the stories. Aparo's art causes no qualms. He's perfectly suited to the strip. And that's from Gordon Flagg, Atlanta, Georgia. And the reply to that one is... The next issue of Adventure will introduce a new character who shares many of your qualms, Gordon. And where that will take us, only Michael Fleischer knows for sure. Interesting. So we move on to a third letter here. Dear Joe, it is considered very bad form to quote oneself, but in this case, I just can't resist. From a letter printed in Spectre No. 1, December 1967. Whatever happened to that awesome being who could bend the very cosmos to his will, who terrified not only those he fought, but those he helped, whose eyes held instant death for those foolhardy enough to peer into them, who was the equivalent of an earthbound death angel. The answer, whatever happened to him, is no longer important because in Adventure 431, you finally brought him back. The Spectre is dead and well, and entertaining bi-monthly in Adventure Comics. All right. That letter is from Bob Butts, Tucson, Arizona. We used to get letters from Bob Butts all the time. That's hilarious. Bob, it's good to hear from you. I hope you're listening. The next letter. Dear Joe, the Spectre story by itself was a fine piece of comic work. The story and art blended together to produce a pleasing look and a strong mood. The story's place in the Spectre's history was a bit more confusing. Would it really hurt for your writers and fellow editors to put a thin thread of continuity into their stories? So many changes have been made in the Spectre that the character is very confusing. I'd appreciate an explanation one of these days. Since the change in adventure, my hopes have been running high for new stories of some of the discontinued heroes, especially Aquaman. Well... And that's from John, oh, it's not, the printing is damaged on this copy here, John Leisure something from Portsmouth, Ohio. I mean, that's a fair point, because the last time, you know, the Spectre was around in issue 10 of his own book, he was still carrying the Book of Judgment. And then when we saw him in JLA a while after that, he was locked in that crypt that Dr. Fate had to rescue him from. So there's a lot of this. But anyway, the editorial response to John's letter. After long and careful thought, we've come up with an explanation for all the Spectre variations. We are now writing about the Earth-1 Spectre, not the Earth-2 Spectre, who you're more familiar with. Anyone not familiar with the Julius Schwartz, Gardner Fox et al. theory of two worlds should pick up the September-October Flash for the details. As for Aquaman, he'll be in the very next issue of Adventure. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. How about that, listeners? A statement from the, the men themselves that this is a Spectre on Earth-1, so the suggestion there. We'll see how the next couple of stories, how they sort of hint at it, so... Spectre on Earth 1, could this be a new version completely? Gosh, we'll have to see if we get anything in the stories that tells us about that. So, the next letter then. Dear Joe, he's back, back, back. Do you hear me? Back. Obviously, I didn't get that excited about the return, were they gone, of the Snurls in 431. Not bad as sci-fi goes, but very overshadowed by the new star of adventure, the Spectre. Yeah, I think that's a reference to the backup strip. Hmm. I am completely unfamiliar yeah, with that. but we don't really need to talk about that. <laughs> Anyway, as with many heroes, somewhere along the way, the original concept of the Spectre had gotten lost. Over the years, I've managed to acquire some of these Golden Age stories featuring both the awesome ghostly guardian and the later befuddled babysitter. And yet, there was potential, as pointed out in the reprint of his origin in Secret Origins a few months back. After all the various in-between versions, somebody finally admitted a mistake and decided to go back to the original concept. Fantastic. The Spectre. Just knowing he would return prompted me to subscribe to Adventure, but I never dreamed. Aparo art 
Neil Adams, move over. The Spectre has come into his own. Bless you, Michael Fleischer, wherever you are, for the Spectre, the one and only ghostly guardian. He's back, back. Now, let him stay. And that was from Ray Johnson, Grand Rapids, Michigan. There's no editorial response to that, but it's nice to see that Ray was so enthused. Very interesting editorial confirmation that he's that he's back. And obviously there's a few more issues we have to read before we get to issue 434, so we'll have to see if there's any more hints there, indeed elsewhere, as if, you know, we're really seeing the Spectre on Earth 1. Spectre's run an adventure comics, I believe runs to 10 issues, we're going to cover them all over the next few months, so make sure you stick around for those. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you again for having me, it's been wonderful to fill in for Peter, wishing him well. I definitely am looking forward to hearing him back on the podcast, but it has been a, a, a treat for me to fill in to his shoes and attempt my, to do my best. <laughs> <laughs> no, you really have. It's been, a, it's been a real pleasure having you on board, matey, and thank you for helping us out. It's really much appreciated. I think this is going to end up being something like eight episodes with no Peter. <laughs> it's terrible. It's not what we want at all. Steve will be back next week, listeners, to help us out with an episode that he actually recorded a couple of weeks ago because we thought we'd get ahead and save us a bit of time, because we thought Peter might have been back well enough to do the last couple of episodes that we've done. That's not been the case. So you'll get a whole big long explanation next week about Peter's laryngitis and Steve coming to help us again. So that's lovely. Listeners, what are your thoughts on the Spectre coming back? Please get in touch and let us know. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are the Earth 2 Podcast. It's number two in all our socials on Twitter. We are podcast underscore earth2. Check out the socials because we'll be posting the cover, we'll be posting some panel highlights. I've managed to scavenge a few pages of the original story art from the interwebs. I'll be posting them. I have one foreign reprint of Adventure 431 that'll be sticking up in a couple of days. You probably might even have seen it on Twitter by the time you listen to this one. Steve, once again, thank you so much, my hero. <laughs> Happy listening, listeners. Steve and I will be back next week, yeah, on that bombshell and all that. I've been David. And I've been Steve. Yep, we'll see you again as we keep saying next week on... The Earth, Earth 2, Two Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Peter, I'm going to just say as I'm about to wrap up, I apologize if there is inconsistency in my voices. I feel like Fritz kind of had three different voices over the course of the, the story. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Closing now. <laughs>